What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray. We're talking about generational wealth. We're talking about finance and, of course, business. And before we introduce today's guest, my man, Eric, who do you have for our Black Men Sunday spotlight? Today's spotlight, we're going to focus on a young lady. Her name is Devon Reeves. Miss Reeves is, she closed on a historic deal on an $8.3 million hotel. And the thing is, this female is only 34 years old. And she just bought two more hotels recently. Real estate investor Devon Reeves has expanded her real estate portfolio by acquiring two more hotels, like I mentioned earlier, with the Nassau Nassau Investments. Now, this is the first property. It's a Staybridge Suites in Fishers, Indiana, while the second property is a Hampton Inn and Suites in Scottsburg, Indiana. Now, the new acquisitions amount to 18 million, making Reeves now co-owner of an impressive three hotel properties in just under a year. Now, remember, this female is only 34 years old. Now, she is also founder of a chief and hospitality strategist behind the Atlanta-based hospitality firm, The Bond Group. Now, quoting Ms. Reeves, she said, it is an awesome feeling doing this as an African-American woman especially as a young African-American woman that she told Black News. Now, for many years, also quoting, I never imagined that I could own a hotel and now I own three. It is an incredible feeling knowing that I am living my ancestors' wildest dreams. And that is my spotlight for today, Corey, Miss Devon Reeves. Now back to you. And you said 34 years old? 34 years old, man. Man, I'm blown away with that. Now let's introduce today's guest. We have Lieutenant Fred Jones from the Lake County Sheriff's Office. He's the PIO, that's the Public Information Officer, and he's over Internal Affairs. This brother has over 25 years experience. If you live in the Central Florida area, you've seen him on the news. This brother here also has a podcast. It's all right with Fred Jones. This brother, we're going to learn about this brother behind the badge. Like I said, you guys see them on the news for the brothers all over the world that don't know who he is. Lake County, Florida is, is a county just north of Orlando, Florida. This brother here, let me tell you about him. This brother's from Bonnell, Florida. This brother grew up in Gainesville, so unfortunately, he's a gator. But a lot of y'all don't know this brother's a runner. This brother also can DJ. I heard he's been DJing since 99. I'm trying to figure out how, how were you a black DJ in Lake County? I know you ain't making no money up there. So without further ado, welcome Lieutenant Fred Jones, the Black Man Sunday's brother. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Definitely. So my first question, man, you still driving that 2005 Uplander, man? I am. I am. Wow. Yeah. Man, I think I don't bought two cars since 05 and <laughs> this brother driving the same one. And I was going to ask you too, man, I'm still Unfortunately, man, I'm addicted to them lattes, man. I'm trying to invest, but that, that little $5 every morning is getting me, man. I know you make your coffee at home, but I don't have time. I'm kind of one of those guys I get up at the last minute. So let's dive right in, man. This is Black Men's Sundays. Like I said, we talk about generational wealth, finance, and business. So we're going to get right into that. So, you know, in your line of work, from your perspective, how are you gaining wealth? I think by being intentional, um, intentional on how I look at my money, um, intentional how I invest. I have a financial advisor and, and we know uh, these last few months, especially, you know, have been tough, you know, as far as the market goes, but I pay attention and, and then I use patience also. So there was one point, you know, I, I kind of had the panic button. I, I hit the panic button inside of my head because I'm like, you know, do I keep putting money in if we're losing money? And one thing I was told by the financial advisor said, look, you keep putting the money in, 
you put more money in if you can, because when the market bounces back, you're going to be on top of the game. And he said, that's where a lot of people make the mistake. They, they get scared and they back off. But, um, you know, when you're able to buy when it's down, that's when you're going to make money. And so, you know, I just keep the faith and I know that eventually this is going to bounce back. And, and that's what it's about. I got you. But I think my issue is when I'm looking at the stock market, I have Robin Hood. And the problem that I have is, man, I'm waking up first thing in the morning. I'm opening that phone, checking my social media, and I'm going to that Robin. Oh, man, I'm down another thousand today. It's kind of stressful. But like, what would you say is the best route to go if you're investing, but you're kind of an emotional investor? Right. I think it's how you look at it. And, and I was like you, you know, if not every morning, every other morning, I would be looking at it. You know, and I think you have to take the eyes off of it. And that's what I've done. I may check in once every few months, you know, and that way, um, because we are, we're, we're, we're emotional about money. That's just the way it is. And so what I do is I, I don't check in on a daily basis because it will drive you crazy, you know. And so what I do is I let it work. You know, I, I trust the process. And, and here's the thing, you know, traditionally, the returns have been on, on the stock market have been what, 8%, you know, throughout history. And so it's going to have its ups and downs. And, you know, I just got to know that, you know, this is going to work out. You know, we just can't be emotional about it. And, and I, I listen to people who know what they're doing. You know, when I have those those doubts, I'll go pull up a, you know, I'll go put up a Warren Buffett podcast, you know, <laughs> listen to somebody, listen to him tell me what I need to be hearing anyway. You know, so it's what you put in your head and you have to take the emotion out of the equation. Got you. And let's talk about investing in income how much of your income do you invest and i already talked about you being a dj so i know you have a side hustle but do you have any other revenue streams yeah but besides the the, the dj um side hustle you know i do as a law enforcement officer we have we have details that we can do um when i say details these are off-duty details and so what i do is i have separate accounts i have separate accounts for my dj business i have separate accounts for my separate accounts for my detail and so when I what I do with the detail money is I take that money and I I invest it. Um, I, I don't touch it. And so anything I get that's beyond, you know, what I need to do as far as paying my bills and investing. But I invest I invest 20 percent of my my income off the bat, you know, and that's important to me because to me, it's not about the now. You know, you 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 refer to that 2005 Uplander, you know, um, I did get AC fixed in it, by the way, <laughs> but but, um, you know, to me, man, it's about that future. And I watched the growth happen. You know, uh, it's about discipline. And, you know, once I establish that discipline, you know, everything else falls into place. So I see, man, that's a nice place you have there. You know, 25 years in, you do any real estate? I haven't I haven't dabbed into it yet. Um, and, and that's what I plan on doing, on looking at it. You know, honestly, I'm about, I'm about two years away from retirement. And so what I plan on doing right now is my house um, will be very close to being paid off if not paying off paid off by the time I'm done here so I'll probably end up using this as a rental you know um, I do have some land that I purchased a, a few years ago that I may do something with that so I'm looking at the future when it comes to that because my goal is to have different streams of income coming in when I retire and not just rely on social security my pension um, I want to have those other streams of income. So I'm building those as well. Hello, this is Commissioner Scott from Atlanta. How you doing? Good. How you doing, sir? Doing great. I got a quick question. So after you invest, you pay your bills and you put money into stocks, how do you decide how much you're going to give yourself or pay yourself to enjoy the money? Thank God I have a, a wife that's very, um, 
I don't want to use the word frugal, but I guess simple when it comes to stuff. So with me, um, I look at what I like to do. And for me, what I like to do, is I, I like a good meal. So I give myself, you know, enough money to have one night out every couple of weeks. My wife and I, we go to a nice Thai restaurant or a nice steakhouse. So here's the thing, because what I don't want to do, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought this question up. What I don't want to be is that person that tells someone that you have to struggle until the end. You know, you do, you work hard, enjoy your money. And, and to me, it's just, I know I want a good meal every other week and everything else I do doesn't cost a whole lot. You know, I do a lot, we do a lot of walks in the parks. Uh, we take our dog for a walk. Uh, we do museums, we do things of that nature like that. So to each individual, I think it's a matter of saying, you know, what do I want and what do I need? And I ask myself that question. So I make sure I take care of my needs. My wants are secondary for now. And, and really it's just where you are as far as, you know, what, what you enjoy. But I'm a simple person, so that's not very difficult for me. I'm more of a saver. Um, I'm a saver. And I have next to zero debt right now. Thanks for that, that response, sir. I do have Thank one you. more follow-up question right okay. quick. Uh, so with your job and your profession, I'm sure there's a lot of intensity involved sometimes. Uh, how do you separate your duties at work? And then when you come home as a father and a husband, how do you cut that switch on and off? Yeah, no, thank you for asking that question. I am a, an advocate and, and there are some, um, you'll see some of the uh, the news stories that I've done about emotional intelligence and mindfulness. And I practice it on a regular basis. One simple thing I do, and, and, and people find this silly when I talk about it a little bit, but back in 2017, I went to Vietnam and it's one of the best experiences I've ever had. I met some amazing people. I love the culture. And one of the things that happened to me is I was getting ready to go into a place and the lady told me to take my shoes off. I'm like, why do I take my shoes off? I'm thinking, you know, she goes, we do not bring the outside inside. And so I adopted that. And so whatever happens to me at work, I make sure I don't bring home. I physically take my shoes off when I get home to remind me that whatever happened at work happened at work. In the morning, I have a routine where um, I read, I write, and I meditate. And that's how I start my morning. I turn my, when I, I leave my phone on for my alarm. When I wake up in the morning, I turn my phone off, okay? I do not pick up my phone for at least an hour when I wake up. Um, I don't watch news. I'm on the news, but, but I don't watch the news, you know? So I, I put a lot of positive, head, positive stuff in my head. Um, I, I have my, my, my daily bread that I read you know, as far as my scriptures. And so I make sure I start my day and I end my day with positivity. Thank you for those tips, sir. And that also is a great transition as well, because I kind of want to get into the mental health as an officer. But before we get into that, um, when I spoke with you, uh, you said you spend your money on experiences traveling. So just talk a little bit about that and the importance of that, because I feel like as Black men in our community, we're just traveling to work and if, you know we might go to the nearest beach but we're not really taking a real vacation so give us some you know give us uh your tip on that well, i'm gonna go a little deep on this too you know and I'm, I'm glad you asked this because i think it's so important especially as black men to travel because if not we get stuck to think that this is all there is and i'm going to put it out there i've been probably 12 countries so far. I plan on going to so many more, but I've probably been to 12 countries that I've really enjoyed. And what I've found, especially, I'll give you one that people would think that um, you would have to worry, danger, danger. Colombia is one of my favorite countries. 
you know, and people think of the cartel when they think of Colombia. You know, I've been to Medellin, I've been to Bogota, but I tell you, I have never, I feel safer in Colombia than I do in this country right here. Um, what traveling has done for me as a black man, it shows me that, you know what, go where you're treated better. And I have, um, I'm in an interracial relationship, okay? And so within, within Central Florida, there are places where my wife and I go where I won't hold her hand because I need that hand free in case I need to do something, you know? But when I'm in other countries, you know, I can walk with her, I can be free. Nobody stares. I don't have to worry about racial statements being shouted out at me. I've been to Mexico. I've been to Colombia. Been to Aruba. I, I mentioned. Um, I mentioned Vietnam. I've been to Thailand, and and so I know that there is something else out there. We need to know what else is out there, you know. And with that said, you know, I talked about maybe in two, three years at the most retiring. You know, we've already picked a place in Thailand where we're going to go lay our head, and our money is going to go further. Man, you're giving it to us today, man. That's what I'm that's what I'm talking about. Man. All right, let's let's talk about, you know, because I mean, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I felt like I was seeing you on the news every day. And it kind of is a follow-up question to what Commissioner Scott was saying, you know. But when you come home, you know, I feel like a lot of officers do deal with trauma. A lot of officers, you know, may have been in military before and they bring the trauma to the stops when you get pulled over. But my my preface before that is, um, you know, how do you, far, from a mental health perspective, because as Black men, we don't really discuss mental health. It's kind of like a, it's a hush-hush thing. But from a mental health perspective, how do you stay sane as an officer? Because, I mean, you see a lot of craziness. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, it really is about processing it, you know. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people are, are afraid to use that word therapy you know, and I'm gonna put it out there right now. I know when I was a young man, my father said that therapy is something that black people can't afford. You know, he said, we can't afford to be depressed. You know, you just got to pull up your bootstraps and get back to work. But here's my thing. And, and, and just a short story. In 2012, I was, a, I was a runner. I had run several half marathons. I had run my first marathon. I was training for my second marathon. I pulled up with what I thought was a growing injury. And to make a short, uh, a long story short, it turned out when I went and got x-rays and MRI, I had arthritis throughout my hip from what the doctor said was probably a hip pointer from when I played football um, years earlier. And so I had, I've had, 2012, I had a hip replacement. In 2015, I had a second hip replacement. So I went from being a marathon runner to learn how to walk again. And you want to talk about going down, you know, a, you know, a rabbit hole of, of depression and so I went and I talked to a therapist. Um, best thing I could have done. Um, when we talk about black people, we 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 try to suck it up. Um, when you suck it up, you will suffocate. Is what I would say. And so I was able to process that. And you know, I, I've learned skills, be it meditation, be it breathing exercises. I know not to take this home with me. I know that. And my wife would tell you if you were to talk to my wife, and she would say, "Ever since Fred adopted." Um, ever since Fred adopted emotional intelligence, my wife and I have not had an argument. If I was to pull her in there right now, she'd say, we've had disagreements, but we've talked about them because I am very self-aware of where I'm at emotionally. If I've had a rough day, I know when I pull up in that driveway, I'm going to take some deep breaths. I walk into the house. I tell my wife, hey, I'm going to the decompression chamber. And she know, I go in the back room. I just, you know, chill a little bit um, and I'll come back and I'll be okay. But it is a lot to take on. And we in law enforcement like to think we are invincible. We are not. 
Um, I just had a mental health in-service with my agency, and I told them that something that stunned a lot of them. We have had more officers commit suicide than we've had die in the line of duty. And that says a lot in itself. So it's real, you know, and it's something that um that, that I try to address with each and every one of them. I have men's groups with some of the deputies. We sit around, we process a lot of this stuff as well. A lot of officers carry the trauma with them to work. So in your agency, what's being done to help the officers? Mm -hmm. We um we've hired two chaplains um that are full-time with our agency right now. And they're part of what's called a SISM team where they go out, especially um, deputies who are involved in, in, in officer-involved shootings. Um, they go out and meet them there. Um, they deal with that part of it. Um, we've had deputies that have lost, you know, wives to cancer. I can think of two off the top of my head. So they have resources there um, that they can go to. And we've also made it so that we let them know that, look, we're not following you around. If you need to go get help, they're not going to report that, hey, you have a deputy that's going to see a psychiatrist, a psychology, a psychologist, because we want them to get the kind of help they need. And the reason why that is so important, because working in internal affairs, most of the deputies that we end up firing is not because we, we haven't had a firing because of excessive force since I've been up there. I'll tell you that. What we have fired, been fired for is stuff off duty. Um, stuff where they're not thankful, stuff they're not mindful of. Um, alcohol is a big because they try to medicate with alcohol. Um, they get in trouble. And so I've seen where they try to, I guess, you know, heal the pain with alcohol or, 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 or some kind of substance. And so I'm glad you brought up this, uh, the mental health portion of it because I see it on a daily basis. I talk to internal affairs supervisors throughout the state of Florida, and I have some in different states up. So they say the same thing, you know, um, they get this guy sitting in front of them that's done 15 years, and now they're about to lose their job because, you know, they start unpacking everything that's happened to them. They start talking about all the death scenes, about the child that was dead, that they had a hole and try to resuscitate. All that stuff comes back because they didn't unpack it over a period of time and, you know, usually manifests itself in bad decision making later on. Mm, great information, man. And I kind of want to segue from the mental health to the health side, because the last time the last time I talked to you, you said, you know, you, you're in pretty good shape. Your doctor has 10 black men in the office and you're the only one that doesn't have hypertension or any of that. So just talk about that a little bit, because I think, you know, that's very important in the black community. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, with me and that's part of what we talked about earlier, where you were talking about how do I process this, you know, and part of that. You know, my morning cons consists of the exercise, the writing, the reading, the meditation. So because of hip replacement, I can't go out and run a marathon or anything like that. But I walk every single day. I walk every single, anywhere between two and six miles a day. You know, I have, because I have the hip replacement, I have stretches I have to do, things of that nature. But it is so important that we watch what we eat. You know, I'm a very moderate drinker. I probably can count on one hand how many drinks I have in a month. Um, so to speak. But I, I exercise every day. Um, I'm mindful of what I eat. You know, my family make fun of me and we have get together because I go over there and man, they all in the chitlins and they got the fried chicken. They got everything going on. And, you know, I'm thankful and I grew up with that food. But, you know, I watched my father die at 54 years old of a massive heart attack. You know, um, he had five brothers. One died in an in a airport of a massive heart attack. And, you know, four have had either bypass or triple bypass surgeries. 
And so I know what runs in my family. I know what's out there, but really it's just paying attention to yourself, what you put in your body and exercising. Mm, you said your father died at 54. Yeah, that's exactly the age I am right now. Mm. Yeah, and, and that kind of leads to my next question. You know, let's transition to insurance a little bit. You know, we've had other guests um, talk about insurance, but what's the importance of supplemental insurance? Because I feel like Black people, a lot of us don't have insurance, or we just have insurance through our job. But tell us the importance of supplemental insurance. Yeah, I think the first thing I would say about that is insurance is for the living, you know, and we need to keep that in mind. Um, if you ask yourself about your family, be it your spouse or be it your kids or whatever, do you love them enough to make sure that you as a breadwinner, once you're gone, that they're going to be taken care of, you know? And, you know, I, I have a group of, of, of young Black men that I talk to myself, and we've had this conversation right here. And here's the thing. They look at, we, we are so, I think, used to looking at what's in front of us, be it that $100 or $200 or whatever. But I myself, I have a million dollars of insurance, uh, life insurance, you know, um, you know, through my job, through Aflac or whatever. I have cancer insurance. You know, I have short term disability insurance. Um, I have hospitalization insurance. And, you know, I was one of those young cats that I saw that going out of my check and kind of scared me at first. But once you close your eyes and you let it happen, you think about the end. You know, um, I want my family to be taken care of, you know, and it is so important that, you know, when I, when I close my eyes for the last time, you know, I, I want to know that my family's taken care of. And that's what it is. It's all about love. And by you saying, you calling that um, insurance agent up and saying, look, this is what I need to do for my family. Get it done, folks. Don't, don't put it off to tomorrow because sometime tomorrow may be too late. Yeah, this is Kalali um, out of Maryland. Um, I'd like to ask a question real quick. So um, earlier you mentioned um, that you have a financial advisor as well to help you kind of, you know, think through um, your financial strategies and things like that. And we've had financial advisors on um, Black Men Sunday as well, but could you just go a little deeper into, you know, what the importance is of having a financial advisor to help you look at um, some of your financial strategies? No, thank you for that question. Um, to me, um, we all have gifts, you know. Um, if you were asking me to work on my sink, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a plumber. You know, um, if you ask me to to do certain other skill sets that I don't I don't have, then I don't have that knowledge. But I think when you vet the people that you want to pretty much hold your future in their hands, I think it's very important because I've made financial mistakes in the past. I'm not saying people some people do it on their own and, and they learn it. They go, they study, they learn it. But for me, um, I vetted people um, that I wanted to hold pretty much my future in their hands. And I knew they were skilled at what they did. For an example, um, the guy that I finally chose to go with, um, another lieutenant in the agency has had him for seven years and, and he's had other deputies and firefighters and stuff like that. So he had a, a reputation. But when you get someone who knows what they're doing, that has your best interest, it is so important. I know we can make decisions based on emotions. You know, I know people who, some of my coworkers, they um they handle their own finances and the market shifts they get emotional and they make that decision based on the market shifting that's what i didn't want to do i know i would probably be that person and so when you find someone that you tell them what your um what your plans are for the future and you you know vet them the way they need to be vetted 
I think that's the best thing you can do for you and your family. So very important. Thank you so much for that um, answer. It just seems like, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, as individuals, we don't um, value other expertise outside of what we have, you know, you know, like your expertise is law enforcement, but it might not necessarily be financial, you know, <laughs> advice. Yeah. So it's good to go out and get somebody and, and value their expertise and understand that that's what they're an expert at and to help you along with it. So yeah, definitely appreciate uh, your input on that. Thank you. We are consumers and that's what we do. We're, we're, we're surrounded by the commercials and everything else that tells us to consume, consume, consume. One of the best things I did was to pay down my debt. Debt is a dream killer. You know, mm. um, we get emotionally attached to stuff. We see stuff, we want it right now. We go out and we get it. Um, it we have that dopamine hit, it feels good. And then we got 72 months left to pay on it, you know? So just be careful with your debt because I know the power of compound interest that money that you use, that $700, that $600 car payment that you want to make on that new car, can you imagine if you put $600, $700 away on a monthly basis, compound interest, 5, 10, 15, 20 years? And that's how you have to look at things. That's how you have to look at debt. How has compound interest over the years worked for you? But you kind of answered it, but if you want to elaborate a little bit more, though. No, and and and, and I'm I'm totally transparent, and this is not... You know, this is not me um, patting myself on the back, but I just want to show what's possible. So I invest about $1,500 a month, I invest, you know, and I went from watching this, this has been probably going on 20 years now that I've been, invest not that much. I had to build up to that point. As I got promoted, I took my raise and I invested it. You know, I didn't go out and I didn't, I didn't do the lifestyle creep where the more money you make, the more you spend. So what I did was when I got raises, I invested those raises and it kept building up to what I, I can do monthly. But what I've invested is in the six digits now, you know, because of compound interest. And what that's gonna allow me to do is retire in two years instead of at 65 or 70, you know, and not how I will probably always work part-time doing something, but I will be in a position where I won't have to work. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of black men, especially me, we work for the money, but it seems like you're making the money work for you. Yeah, and that's what it's, it's really about, because in the end, you know, you want to be able to enjoy this, you know, and I've watched I've watched guys leave the sheriff's office. They made good money. Um, they blew the money. They spent the money. They retired to go get another job. And then they're dead two years later. Are they still working to their 60s or into their 70s, you know? My, my goal is what well, money, the way I look at money is money allows me to do what I want to do. And that's the end game for me. It's not what it can purchase for me. Um, if I was to put it in a sense of what it can purchase for me, it can purchase for me time, time to do what I want to do. And that's what it's about for me. You know, um, I have some nice things. I do. You know, I enjoy nice trips like we talked about earlier. I enjoy experiences and stuff like that. If I want a new computer, I go buy a new computer. Um, I'm going to get into the YouTube. I'm going to go get me a nice camera. I'm going to do those things because I have the money because, you know, I, I spend it on things that are going to bring value to me. And that's what it's about. Okay. And I kind of wanted to make a little transition here, but we're going to go back now. You know, we right. kind of, so how did you get into law enforcement? Mm. 
wow, I'm about to go way back. <laughs> yeah, I told you. <laughs> so um, I was in the mental health field for a while. I was a, a mental health tech. Um, I worked in hospitals, um, pretty much behavior tech kind of muscle for counselors. I sat in groups while they did that kind of stuff. Um, but I came to a dead end. I was told by my boss that I was stuck. And this was 1990, I don't know, 1992, 1994, that I was going to be stuck at $8 an hour. That was what I was going to cap off at. Um, at the time, my wife was pregnant. Um, I knew I needed to make more money. And so I found an ad in the paper that the state prison was hiring officers. And I never known anybody who was a correction officer, but they were going to pay me while I sat in class. Um, and then once I, I finished the academy, got state certified, I would be, my pay would increase and I would be making more money than I ever made before, which was at that time, $23,000 a year. So I jumped into it at the state prison. I worked there for about a year. It wasn't my thing. So I went to the county jail. Um, I had a friend of mine who I met who was a road deputy. I'm, I'm sorry, she was a school resource deputy. She, um, she came to the jail to work overtime and she told me about this position called a school resource deputy. And where you get to work with kids and be a role model. I'm like, man, I can do that. And so I went back and got certified as a law enforcement officer. I had to do a couple of years on the road, but then I went into the schools. So I never really wanted to be a law enforcement officer, but I really wanted to work with people who look like me. I knew I was the only one in my neighborhood growing up um, that had both their father and their mother. You know, um, I had a strong father figure you know, that kept me out of trouble. He put that belt on me a few times, helped keep me out of trouble, but he kept me out of trouble. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to work with young people. And I did, I worked in the schools um, probably for a decade altogether uh, of my 25 years in law enforcement. Gotcha. So, but early on, weren't you a corrections officer at some point? Yeah, yeah, I started the prison. So let me ask you about that. Cause you know, I work for the news. A lot of times if we have to shoot prison video, you get those white buses um, pull up, and most of the people kind of look like us getting off that bus. So how does that, how did that mentally, you know, you're an officer and you're seeing all these brothers getting off the bus, like that didn't affect you in any way? It did. It did. I think that was the start of it, you know, when I was at the prison, because you watch a 16-year-old that's been direct fouled as an adult and been charged and fouled and sentenced as an adult. You get that 16-year-old step off that bus and he turns to a 10-year-old or 12-year-old. You can see the fear. You can see the childhood that he did not live at all in his face, you know, as he's walking up, not knowing what to do. Yeah. And I tell you now, there's a, I would call it a second chance school over here in Lake County that we have a, a boys and men group where these are kids that these, this is their last chance. And I have these conversations with them. I say, look, guys, man, once they put those handcuffs on you, man, your life changes. Any dream you have is pretty much cut in half if you're not careful. And so even though I'm a lieutenant, I'm up in professional standards, man, I keep, I keep my boots on the ground because I really want to help people navigate this justice system. Forget navigating, I want to help them stay out of it. Mm. Yeah, because I feel like some brothers might look at you and say, you know, you're 25 years as an officer, something go down, you're going to take the officer side. Yeah, you're yeah. black like me, but you... You 25 years with them. No, that's a good question, too. And I tell you what, and, and I, I've told I've told the news this wrong is wrong. You know, I'm responsible for doing investigation to put some of our own deputies in jail, some in prison, you know. And so 
to me, it's, it's really about what's just and true. I'm always going to go that route right there. But, you know, by the same token, I know I did some things when I was young that probably could have got me in trouble that, that I, I either didn't get caught, <laughs> you know, or someone gave me a break. But I've also been in a position to help other deputies know. I'll give you an example of this right here. I was a corporal on the road, as first line supervision on the road. And we had a call that came in and it talked about, it was about 3.30 and there was a, the call came in, dispatch says, can we check on a young black male walking through a neighborhood with a backpack? And in my head, I'm thinking it's 3.30, school's out. Of course, there's a young black male, you know? And so I had two deputies respond. Um, I responded with them. They came up on this young black man, young black kid, and the kid ran. And so they took pursuit. And so I took pursuit. The kid ended up sitting down by a tree. He fell down. He's crying, you know. And I had one of the deputies said, you know, what are you doing? Why are you running? And the kid said, I didn't do anything. Well, why are you running if you didn't do anything? And that's when I had to interject. You know, my father told me when I was growing up, you see the police, you run the other way, you know. And so there's a lot of cultural things that happen. The reason why we do what we do, this job has given me an opportunity. And I've sat down with white deputies and said, look, man, <laughs> this is why we do what we do sometimes. Okay, you know, um, I, I really feel God has put me in this position to help people understand each other, you know, be it young black kids understanding law enforcement officers and be it law enforcement officers understanding black people. And so I've, I've been blessed to be in this position. Yeah. Speaking of that, you guys still have the clear program going on in Lake County. We do. We do. And what are you guys doing? Because, you know, I mean, I, I mean, the elephants in the room. Obviously, police, race relations, it's not oh, any yeah. better, especially with the school shootings going on these days. But, you know, just what are you guys doing to kind of ease the tension in the community and with the officers? So we have a program called CLEAR, which is community leaders engaging and responding. And so what we, we did was we, we went into the community, um, be it uh, church leaders, um, be it leaders. Uh, uh, one of our leaders is a, a city commissioner. And, and pastors, we've had these people come together. We show them what we do. You know, we show them the training that we do. You know, I, I teach emotional intelligence, a certified, a nationally certified course that I teach to our agency. And that's pretty much about de-escalating yourself, making sure that you're not hyped up when you come into that call or when you're making that traffic stop. Um, we teach uh, CIT, which is, um, which is a de-escalation training, you know, that how to de-escalate those you come across. And so we, we do all these things, be it you know, self-de-escalation, how to de-escalate others. We have the human diversity. We're going out and we're meeting people before we meet people. And that's why I always taught, you know, don't let, when I was on the road, for example, you know, I would tell guys, hey, church is about to get out. We would go to the black churches when they go out, when they, when they get out, and we would meet the people coming out of the church. I don't want you to be, you know, Deputy Johnson. I want you to be Ron. I want you to be Derek. I want you to be David. I want them to see that human in you. And so we engage with our community before we have to engage with them, be it on a call for service or some other thing. And for the non-Black officers that are sheriffs as well, what type of training is going in so that they're a little bit more in touch with the Black community? You know, we're keeping it real. It's Black Men's Sunday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is, you know, I've been tasked with training. And so they know they're going to get the truth from me. You know, um, I've had officers argue that we misinterpret the Confederate flag. 
It doesn't matter what you think it should be. It matters what it means to us as a community. And so I'm able, I'm able to say those words. I'm able to speak those words. They're going to hear my truth. And I think that's what a lot of other agencies don't get, you know, and I won't back down either because I tell them, I tell them my story. I've been chased across the railroad track by people with a rubber fly. So you can't tell me what it means to you. I'm telling you what it means to us. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So this is Kalali once again, and uh, definitely got to applaud you for for bringing your perspective um, to you know law enforcement because I could just tell you from personal experience, like you know, I was you know I'm I'm in, I was ingrained as a kid, man. You see police officers, you run because nothing good can come from an encounter with the police. That's just the way I. That's my perspective. That's the way I was brought up. So. You know, it's not all the time that like we're guilty of doing anything, but it's in the back of our conscience all the time that there's nothing good that can come out of this, um, out of an encounter with the police. And unfortunately, uh, you know, sometimes probably more often than not, or more often than it should, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, the, uh, but what I wanted to ask you about too, is you said you spent um, a lot of time in the uh, in the education sector, uh, as a uh, as a, a a deputy resource officer, so how much do you think of yourself as an educator, as well as a law enforcement officer, or uh, or or in kind of in that in that lane? Wow, yeah, you know, and it's funny the educator, and I will not take it. My wife was walking in here now because she's a teacher. She's like, you ain't no educator. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's a principal, so I understand that. <laughs> yeah. No, but you know what I, I will say is I, I like to consider myself as a human investor and I invest in humans. Um, and, and, and to me, when I leave this line of work, I've seen the dividends pay off with the kids that, um, you know, I had 10 years ago who are now 24, 29 years old. And so when I think about this job, it's not about, you know, I was in the drug unit as a narcotics detective. I put people in jail rural patrol deputy. But when I leave this job, it's about the people I kept out of jail. That's, that, that's, that's going to resonate with me, that I'm going to take with me because, you know, hopefully I did educate them on the law. You know, um, I did educate them on, you know, just how to navigate this. If you do get stopped, let your parents take care of this, that kind of stuff like that. So that's why when I mentioned earlier, I really feel like God put me in this place to, to, to really just meet people and to see the eye contact I get from these young black men, you know, when I talk to them, to me, that's a blessing because I know they're listening. So yeah, you know, I, I look at myself, you know, I was an investor, you know, not only in the stock market, but I'm invested in these lives of these young people out here. Man, human investor. I, I may have to steal that from you. <laughs> you <laughs> that, got may, it. that may show up in one of my proposals for something or something, human investor. Um, <laughs> wow, yeah. So uh, another question just as a follow-up I'd like to ask you or just get your thoughts on is, you know, I view community security as a big factor and also being able to, uh, to have generational wealth. You know, that's what we kind of talking about, you know, on this show is generational wealth. And you can't really, you can't really be economically secure if you're not physically secure. Physically, physical security is going to be, you know, always going to, uh, uh, is going to top any other concern. So I'm just wondering, how do you think we can do that as Black people in our communities? How can we, what what things can we do to strengthen the security within our communities um, as Black people? Wow, that's a very powerful question. 
you know, I really think about we, we, we need to figure out what's important to us, you know, um, and it's funny you mentioned this because I had this conversation with a couple of my cousins. Um, we're we're going to get together soon and talk about the importance, like we mentioned earlier about insurance, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I know people build wealth from whole life insurance. They, they, they've done that. They do that. But I think what it is, is what are you going to, what are you leaving, you know, the next generation to invest and to work with, you know? Um, I would leave stuff not only to my kids, you know, I would leave stuff to, you know, um, I have nieces and nephews and stuff like that. I'm able to do that. But I think we have to look at the big picture. And, you know, I, I will probably get in trouble for saying this right here. Man, we got to we got to put down the Gucci bags. <laughs> we got to put down those kind of things that are not that, you know, understand the difference between a liability and an asset, you know. We so much invest in liabilities, and that's our problem as a people. You know, we have to invest in assets, things that are going to grow, not things that are going to take our, our wealth away. You know, I, I know, you know, I don't, anybody who want a new car, if that's what you want, that's what you want. But I know when I drive that car for the lot, how much it depreciates right away. Those are kind of things, you know, I have a growth mindset, you know, that how can I do this better? And I think we need all need to adopt that growth mindset on how can we do this better than what we're doing? Um, and, and it starts with having that conversation between assets and liabilities. I kind of want to get back on the law enforcement side for a second, because I feel like, you know, these days as an officer, you're not just an officer, you're a teacher. You know, you have to deescalate situations. You have to have all this training. You have to, you know, um, if you have to pull your gun, you have to know where to shoot so it's not center mass and things of that sort. But the question that I have for you is that do you feel like officers these days have the significant training to deal with all the tasks that you're dealt with? Because it's not just simply an officer on patrol. It's like at least 30 different jobs that you're tasked with. You know, um, very, very good question. And that's one of the things that I've had conversations with, 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 with deputies within my agencies and other agencies. And I'm going to take it back to, you know, that statement, defund the police. Um, a lot of people lost their mind when they heard that. Um, I listen, depends on who you're listening to, because there were those that I was listening to that mentioned defund the police, not in the sense of take everything away, get rid of the police. I, I listened and I did my research and I heard some of those saying defund the police in the sense of, you know what, take some of those resources and put in the mental health, you know, because here you are, you're taking people out there that um, go through a five-month academy, you know, they get some training de-escalation, they get some training in emotional intelligence, but yet you still ask them to wear the hat of a mental health specialist, you know, you're asking us to deal with that. Florida is ranked 50th as far as mental health funding, 50th, you know, and so we are told to go out there and take care of this right here. You know, you have a person that's off their meds, you know, that's maybe been diagnosed paranoid, schizophrenic, whatever the case may be. Our guys do a really good, a really good job de-escalating. You know, unfortunately, you know, we had a shooting a few weeks ago of a guy who, you know, we the the the, the deputy did an amazing job trying to de-escalate him, and the guy finally pulled the rifle up and pointed at him, and the deputy had to shoot him. Um, the deputy transitioned into putting a tourniquet on him, trying to save his life. But we are placed in situations that are no win for us. You know, 
we continue to get training, but I think a lot more is going to have to happen, you know, in order to help us do our job as far as money and the mental health, you know, and this is not going to get better. I'll give you another example. You think about this right here. Look at housing, you know, rentals going up, the price to get into a house, be it Lake County, Orange County, all across the nation. Um, we're evicting people left and right. We're evicting elderly people, you know, with no place to go. We're evicting people with mental health problems with no place to go. So we don't have all the resources. Um, we're going to always be playing catch up, but we're, we're, we're doing the best we can with what we have right now. Speaking of um, diversity and inclusion training, a lot of Black people don't really get out of the Black community. They feel confident living in the Black community, working in the Black community, shopping in the Black community. We talked about real estate and equity earlier, but let's talk about social equity and how that's helped you advance in life. Wow. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you brought it up because it's very, very important. I know that I wouldn't be where I am right now um, without social equity. Um, I don't know if, if, if the listeners out there are very familiar with Lake County, <laughs> Lake County, Florida. Yeah, because um, I was going to say, when I think of Lake County, Florida, I think of the Groveland Four. I don't think of, besides besides shopping downtown Mount Dora, I don't think of a lot of positivity towards Black people, just to keep it real. Go ahead. No, no, and that's a good point, you know, and Claremont has grown, you know, it's more of a Orlando, the Claremont area there. But, you know, here's the thing, when you, 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 you think of Lake County, you don't think of the, the inclusion. Um, we're working hard, you know, to get back to that. But going back to social equity, you know, I was fortunate, you know, when I was in high school, I, I, I did theater, you know, um, I did public speaking, I did those kind of things. But yet I was a correction officer. I was a deputy sheriff. It took someone who didn't look like me to say, hey, you know, I've watched you at these events because I used to volunteer to set up at the sheriff's office, you know, Christmas party with shop with the cop and that kind of stuff. I was on the microphone. And so someone who had equity, my sheriff was able to say, hey, there's a skill set there that I could utilize. So we have to put ourselves in a position to get with people who don't look like us and, 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 and sharing that equity. I'll give you another example. It's kind of embarrassing, but if it's going to help someone else, then, you know, so be it. So my, um, my field training officer, I was 28 years old when I left the jail and went on the road. And I remember we would go on calls and I would have to take all the information. I would have to sit and do the reports. And I looked over at him, um, white guy, and he has his checkbook out and he's doing all these numbers and stuff. I'm like, what are you doing? He says, I'm balancing my checkbook. I'm like, what is that? You know, I had never balanced a checkbook. I didn't know about a budget. I didn't know about all that stuff. So he sat down with me and just told me something, man, you got to have a budget. You got to know where every one of your dollars is going right now. You know, just little stuff like that, that we don't learn sometimes in our community, you know? And so that social equity, it's, it's taking me places. You know, I have white friends. I have Hispanic friends. You know, I have friends from all walks of life. And I think the more flavor you put in your bowl, man, the more that bowl is going to taste good like that. Yes, sir. I, I, I love that, man. You got me thinking about a Hawaiian poke bowl right now. I don't know why, but... <laughs> so, you know what? Before we wrap this show up, I just I just got to ask you this, man. I, it's kind of a serious but funny question at the same time. You a DJ. What's your DJ name, man? You ready for this? I'm, I can't wait. I'm waiting. I am DJ Chocolate Thunder. Chocolate Thunder. <laughs> so let me ask you this, Chocolate Thunder. I mean, you in Lake County. <laughs> 
You in Lake County, man. I I can't see a brother DJing in Lake County, man. Yeah. How will you get money up there? I just got to keep it real. I don't know. First off, I don't know too many brothers that live in Lake County. First off. Oh yeah, man. So how yeah, how are you getting money up there? I'm just saying, man. You DJ Chocolate Thunder. Yeah. Where are you DJing, you know at, brother? <laughs> and I joke. I really don't. They they call me DJ Fred. I kept it simple. They call me DJ Fred. But let me tell you something, man. It's funny you say that because there was an old man that worked at the jail with me. And uh, he said, when I first um, ventured out to this DJ thing, he said to me, nobody ain't going to hire no black DJ. But um, my father was a truck driver. And so I used to ride with him a lot. And so I, I used to, I listened to the Kenny Rogers and the Johnny Paycheck and all those. Those were in the back of my head all the time. And then I just started listening. You know, I started listening to music. I know people. I can read crowds. That's a gift that I have. And I learned the music, you know, and I'm surrounded by the country music all the time. In my 20 years of DJing, and I got it written down somewhere, I've probably done over 270 weddings, okay? Only two of those have been interracial weddings, and one have been a Black wedding. But what it boils down to, what I've learned about music is, music is, I, I, I guess everybody appreciates music, you know? And so if you, music is a language that everybody can grasp. And because I learned the music, because I've learned to quote unquote speak their language, I mean, I've been very successful with it. I'm, I'm probably the busiest DJ in Lake County. And I turn, I, I, I can work every weekend if I want to. Yeah, I turn music away, I pass it on uh, DJ gigs. In Lake County, Florida. Lake County, Florida. So Fred Jones, man, I want to thank you for coming on Black Miss Sundays. Like I tell everybody, you could have been anywhere in the world. You could have been downtown Mount Dora chilling, dining and all that good stuff. But you joined Black Miss Sundays today, brother. You gave us a wealth of knowledge. You gave us some diversity, inclusion knowledge. You gave us some social equity and real estate equity knowledge. So I appreciate you, brother. You had a good time on Black Miss Sunday today? Man, always. The pleasure is all mine. And we'll see you again. Thank you. Check it.